Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. And uh, the number one show at 5 o'clock and, uh, in the studio with us. Uh, we got a common sense Democrat, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, common sense uh, Republican, uh, Congressman Peter King, Lydia Serrani. And uh, today, we have a great show for you today. What do we have, Lydia? We have a fantastic show. We'll be speaking with Congressman Lee Zeldin, who is running for governor right here in New York. We'll be talking to pollster John McLaughlin, Maud Marone. She's a common sense Democrat running for office here in New York. Charlie Gasparino is going to tell us what the heck is going on with the economy. We'll also be speaking with the head of the detectives union here in the NYPD in New York City, uh, Paul Giacomo. But first on the line, we have Ambassador John Bolton. Hello, Ambassador, and welcome back to Cats at Night. Glad to be with you. John, what part of the world do you want to start in uh, with? I mean, uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Speaker Pelosi just left uh, Taiwan, and is she safe in, in South Korea? What do you think? Did we accomplish anything other than, than say that we're not scared of you, uh, uh, China? Well, you know, uh, I think it was much ado about nothing, really, but largely because of the way the Chinese reacted. Uh, Speaker Pelosi did not say anything contrary to existing American policy, which, frankly, I don't think goes far enough to standing with Taiwan. But, you know, when another government tries to tell us where our officials go, where our executive branch officials, members of Congress, whatever they may be, they're over the line as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I think that this is actually a teachable moment for America. We we send a, a senior, uh, the highest ranking member of Congress uh, and the, the government in Beijing goes crazy. Now, imagine what their reaction would be in something more serious. They've, they've ripped the mask off. This is the real face of the Chinese Communist Party government in Beijing. And people ought to learn from that uh, what, what to expect down the road if we're not prepared. John, this is Pete King. First of all, I think uh, hey, President Biden made a big mistake in announcing publicly that the military was against it. That showed disunity in China. And also, countries like Japan and Singapore and South Korea, they see that. They have to wonder whether or not, if we're not going to defend Taiwan or be afraid of Taiwan, are we going to defend them? How, how does it look in, in the Pacific as far as Japan and South Korea uh, vis-a-vis China? Well, I think they're very worried. I think in Japan, uh, the, the, the prevailing opinion would be a Chinese attack on Taiwan is equivalent to an attack on Japan. I think the new president of South Korea would probably see it much the same way. I think countries of Southeast Asia are very worried. Singapore, Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, Australia, India, clearly worried about China. And uh, they they don't want to be dominated by China. And we we are the power that helps secure uh, their stability because it helps secure ours. Look at the trade issues involved. Look at our own security interests. So this is a test case. And I, you know, I think I think Nancy Pelosi did fine. I think the Biden administration showed fear. And to get to your question, I think governments uh, along that Indo-Pacific periphery of China are, are worried about how uh, we will respond in a real crisis. Uh, Ambassador Bolton, I saw a report out that OPEC has basically told Biden we don't have any more oil to give you. How does that set the stage across the world? Because we were once energy independent. Now we're dependent. We're begging Saudi Arabia and and so many of our adversaries for oil. And do you believe that that shows us to be in more of a weaker state and more vulnerable to our our allies as well as the United States to, uh, you know, be attacked? 
Well, it's it's a self-induced mistake. We don't have to be dependent on anybody. But Biden correctly wants to see the price of gas at the pump come down, and there's there's a way to do that. It's not not by releasing reserves from the strategic petroleum reserves. It's not by asking Iran or Venezuela or uh, OPEC to pump more oil. It's by freeing up our own ability to do it here. That's what energy independence can do for you. We we don't need to depend on others. In fact, uh, it's not only getting the price down here. If we were producing at the levels we could, we'd be taking market share away from the other producers and lowering prices all around the world, which would, would help everybody's economies. Well, Ambassador, it's uh, Richard Weinberg, sir. I'm very concerned about Taiwan for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is they're the guys who uh, manufacture the chips. And how do you have the kind of economy, the kind of systems we have here in the United States without chips? What are your comments? No, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, we, the, the, the manufacturer of these chips in Taiwan, largely by the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, founded by a former American citizen, Morris Chong, uh, you know, it's a very dependable place to manufacture them, except it's 100 miles away from China. And we've got to fix that problem. And in the near term, we have a real strong interest uh, in, in defending Taiwan from a from a very uh, self-interested point of view. But it ties in with the larger security question as well. We're still waking up to the extent of the Chinese threat. Uh, We're behind, but we've got the capacity to deal with it. And that's why I do think that uh, as outrageous as China's behavior is, it will show something to the American people. This is a threat to be taken seriously. John, uh, jump around the world. Where do you see the situation in Ukraine right now? Well, I think we're still in a race uh, with with the Russians to try and get our uh, sophisticated high-end weapon systems to the Ukrainian front lines before Russia takes more territory. And I think the race comes down to the next 60, 90 days, and I'm very worried about the Russians taking the diplomatic initiative, the political initiative, with Putin saying something uh, in in the near future like, I've accomplished uh, the objectives we sought. I'm calling a halt to military operations. I demand that Ukraine do the same, and I want to negotiate a ceasefire. I'm afraid the Europeans, fearing the cutoff of natural gas from Russia, which they depend on in the winter, will fold, the French and the Germans in particular. I don't know what the White House would do, but it it would leave the Ukrainians in the lurch, and I think it would show we're not operating with a clear strategy here. We're kind of going from day to day, uh, and and we're going to suffer from that if we if we cede the initiative to Putin, which he's fully capable of taking. Ambassador Bolton, let's go now to, I guess, the Middle East, where the terrorists, uh, the top one of the top Al Qaeda leaders was killed. They released some pictures, some video of that. The balcony, there's blood on it. Uh, Call me skeptical. I know it's just uh, I find it so hard to believe that it was such a targeted attack and there was no other collateral damage that they were able to get this guy after 20 years. Zawahiri, what have you heard? Well, uh, look, they used Hellfire missiles. They're, they're so-called kinetic kill missiles. They don't have explosives. Uh, they, ha- they have a form of uh, blades. And just the impact of one of those things at the speeds they travel is, is uh, fatal. Uh, what it shows to me is the complete breakdown, the predictable breakdown of the deal that was made uh, with the Taliban uh, during the Trump administration and carried out so disastrously during the Biden administration. Here you have uh, the head of al-Qaeda, the, precisely the terrorist group that used Afghanistan as a base to attack us on 9-11, uh, 
precisely the kind of group Taliban committed not to let back into Afghanistan if the U.S. and NATO withdrew. And not only are they back, here's a guy who's so secure in his feelings that he's living in a big house, property of, of one of the leaders of the Haqqani network. He's obviously going freely around the capital of Afghanistan, Kabul, and he feels so secure he takes the sun every afternoon on that balcony. So here's a guy who, after living in camps in the mountains for years, is is so confident with Taliban in control that he just abandons his security precautions. Now, they will change, but it's not just uh, Zawahiri that we're talking about. It shows how uh, embedded al-Qaeda is in the Taliban government, and it's a it's a threat that's coming this way if we're not careful. Also, John, if Zawahiri was there, how many others are there? I mean, he's a— uh, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, guys, we absolutely. don't know exactly who they are, but you'd find out if you had intel on the ground. I mean, if, a, if such a high-profile guy as Zawahiri could walk around like that, God knows how many other top al-Qaeda leaders there are there. Right. We, we really don't have any uh, good uh, accounting for how many foreign terrorists have come into Afghanistan. Remember, it's a year now since we withdrew. But, but those who have come in, uh, whether for ISIS-K or al-Qaeda or, or terrorist groups we haven't heard of yet, the Biden administration itself testified before Congress earlier this year that ISIS-K by this time uh, would have the capability to, to, uh, to conduct a terrorist attack on the U.S. from Afghanistan. And al-Qaeda is pretty close to it. So our security is, uh, is, is definitely endangered by the fact we don't have that presence on the ground anymore. Ambassador, can I ask you about Iran and the, the pressure that the Biden administration seems to feel that they have to make a deal with Iran and it keeps getting worse and worse? And what do you think is going to happen if they do make a deal and uh, Israel's response and Israel's allies' response? Well, I, I, it's a, it's like a quest for the Holy Grail to get back into this deal with the administration. I mean, there's there's no political logic to it anymore. There's no strategic logic. They're in Vienna today and I guess tomorrow to try one more time. I thought these negotiations were going to be over about seven, eight, nine months ago, but they have they seem to have close to eternal life. The fact is, it was a bad deal when it was entered in 2015. It hasn't gotten any better with age in the past year and a half. The Iranians have wrung considerable number of concessions out of the Biden administration. The the original deal itself is going to be expiring in a few years. And uh, what the what the Iranians want is the money that we've uh, withheld from them. They want relief from the sanctions. And uh, all of that would simply go into their treasury to finance more on the nuclear weapons and ballistic missile programs and on their support for terrorism, including terrorism in the United States. So I just think it would be a terrible mistake, and I think Israel is is saying every way they know how to the administration, for goodness sakes, don't go back into this deal. But if we do, uh, you know, Israel will do what they think is necessary to protect their security. Well, thank you so much, Ambassador John Bolton. Thank you so much for everything that you do, and welcome back to Cats uh, and Night anytime, sir. John, we need you back in Great government. To be with you. Thanks. Thank you. Now we're going to, uh, I guess, another battle zone, the one in New York City. We're seeing cops under a siege, uh, criminals running rampant. Mayor Adams, a short time ago, along with the NYPD police commissioner, are asking for, once again, some reform to the ridiculous bail reform. At the very least, they're asking for New York State to be to join the other 49 states to allow judges to use their discretion and decide whether or not a criminal is dangerous. On the line for us right now is the head of the Detectives Union, 
Paul Giacomo. Uh, Detective Giacomo, you released a statement a short time ago. I can only imagine the frustration when you see those videos of your officers being attacked, and it seems like it's on a daily basis. What are your thoughts? Well, there needs to be some change. Uh, judges need discretion uh, on dangerousness and recidivism and uh, keep some of these uh, career criminals behind bars. Well, I'm uh, Detective it's Judge Richard Weinberg. What I'm troubled about is the fact that Mayor Adams is showing leadership in this regard. The legislative leaders are telling them to pound, pound sand and doing nothing. They say they don't see a problem. Uh, the statistics don't back them up, and they're wrong about the statistics. The statistics show that it's a much more lawless society here in New York. Well, absolutely. The statistics, uh, if you look at a three-year comparison, uh, there's a direct correlation uh, to when, when bail reform was enacted uh, to the uptick in violent crime in New York City and New York State. Um, I don't know when our elected officials in Albany are going to wake up, uh, but there are people dying and people being shot at an alarming rate. And they need to fix these bail reform laws immediately or more people will die. And the, the other problem I have is I understand that the, the governor has stated that uh, the problem is that the judges don't understand the law. Now, with all due respect to the governor, uh, I know a lot of the judges are my colleagues on the criminal court and the state Supreme Court. I'm telling you, they do understand the law. And I can tell you what the law is. And I'd be happy to explain it to to the governor. <laughs> There is well, the reality no... is that, uh, you know, they made a mistake in Albany, and they're not adult enough to admit it. Uh, there's going to come a day when they're going to have to admit it, because there's no doubt in my mind uh, that this is going to continue, and they're going to have to take some action. Well, part of the problem is, number one, as Lydia correctly points out, we're the only state that doesn't allow judges to hold somebody in based on dangerousness. The problem with the law to begin with is it had a whole list of crimes where the judges cannot hold somebody in. It was a do-not-go to that list. And that was a that was a problem. Then even those crimes, the so-called bail eligible, they made it clear that the judge had to use the least drastic means to ensure the person would come back. So it makes the judge in every case before him or her do a hearing to use the least restrictive means. And sometimes the least restrictive means does not protect the public. Detective Giacomo, what is the morale among officers? I can only imagine how defeated they must feel because Commissioner Bratton was on John Katzmatidi's show just the other night, and he gave us a stunning statistic that only 3% of the thousands and thousands of felons that your officers put away served any time. I mean, it's just, it's astounding. Lydia, if I could yes, add to that, we, Paul, uh, hey, Paul, Paul, this yes. is Pete King. Uh, hey, Pete, how are you? I'm doing great. But thanks for the great job you're doing. Follow up on Lydia's question, make part of it. How much uh, support does the uh, new commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell, have among the rank and file? Well, you know, she's very genuine and very sincere uh, in her, uh, in her you know, position. Uh, and it's not the police. It's, it's the elected officials that uh, are not following through on uh, keeping the people of the city and state safe. They enact laws that tie the hands of the police. Uh, and it's just not in the best interest of public safety and the people of the city. And Detective Giacomo, we are seeing these officers even struggling to apprehend individuals because also there's the diaphragm law, that law which basically restricts officers from putting any pressure on a suspect's chest or back. And so they're almost grappling and, and wrestling with these with these guys. It, it's just it's not working. The mob all Absolutely. around them. Absolutely. I challenge I challenge any city council person <laughs> to try and apprehend an individual that's noncompliant. 
without touching the midsection of the body. If they could do it, then they could enact the law. It doesn't make common sense, that law that they've enacted. And John, you've been saying it all along from the beginning that it's this small percentage of people that are causing the most crime. Well, we've been saying it from the very beginning. You got eight and a half million people in New York and there's 3,000 violent criminals. And, and if we put those 3,000 violent criminals away, New York will be a livable place again and you could take the subways. And if you, don't, if you don't have confidence, the average person going to work or going to the theater, going to a restaurant, that it's safe, you're going to have a crisis in the city. It'll be an economic crisis. It'll be a brain drain in the city. The city cannot come back without the perception and reality of public safety. And the statistics are there. The New York Post just released that a small group of just 10 career criminals, they racked up nearly 500 arrests. So 10 people racked up 500 arrests. If that's not repeat offenders, if that's not a call to tweak the bail reform, Detective Giacomo, I don't know what is. Yes, and you know, our detectives are out there, uh, had a very difficult time in our history, and they're making the arrests, they're doing the investigations, and uh, the criminal element is out of jail before the detective is finished uh, processing the arrest. Hey, Paul, let me just thank you for your years of service. It's really a, a privilege to know you and work with you, and thank you for your dedication. I mean that sincerely. Well, well same here, Peter. You've been a, a true friend, and thank you for your support as well. Well, thank you so much, Detective Gio Giacomo. And as you well know, WABC backs the blue all the way. And anything you guys need, just uh, let us know. Well, greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for your kindness and support. Thank you. Now, when we come back, we've got a lot more to talk about. We're going to talk to a common sense Democrat. And we think she might be the only candidate in the race who's able to stand up against the squad and beat the radical left. Keep it right here. Cats at night. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. We still got a great show for everyone. We have John McLaughlin coming up. We'll also be speaking with Charlie Gasparino. And we'll also be speaking with Congressman Lee Zeldin, who is running for governor here in New York. But now on the line for us, we have Maude Marone. She's a moderate Democrat running in the 10th Congressional District. And we think she's the only candidate in the race, maybe, that she's able to stand up to the squad. Welcome to Cats at Night, Maude Marone. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Ms. Marone, this is uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. You're running in a race that has about, what, a dozen candidates? 13, a baker's dozen. Okay, a baker's dozen. So let me ask you this question. What distinguishes you from that pack of people who want to go to Congress representing that new district, the 10th district? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I'm the only candidate who you hear consistently talking about the things that all my neighbors are talking about, which is how to make our neighborhoods safer, how to make our subways safer, how to make things cleaner. Um, And pretty much all the other candidates in this race are talking about a far left wish list of ideological concerns instead of the practical everyday concerns that I hear from New Yorkers. And your district covers what areas? So it's lower Manhattan, more or less below 14th Street, a little bit of a jagged line, not as jagged as it used to be, but more or less below 14th Street. And then a big part of Brooklyn from um, Brooklyn Heights into uh, Borough Park and, and Park Slope and Sunset Park all the way up to Bay Ridge. And where are you getting your support from? 
everywhere. <laughs> I was just in Bay Ridge last weekend and talking to folks. And I'm tell- when it comes to public safety, I really don't think it's a Democrat or Republican issue at this point with voters. It is in terms of what I'm hearing from sort of the squad and what I call the wannabe squad members in my race. But from everyday New Yorkers, safety is the number one issue that people are talking about. It's what the polls say, but it's also what people are saying on the streets, in their apartments, when I'm knocking on doors. This is what people are concerned about. And Maude Marone, again, she is running for the 10th Congressional District. Your career experience includes working as an attorney with the Legal Aid Society. So you are very well familiar with the justice system. What do you think about everything that's going on? Mayor Adams, he is really pushing for some tweaks to the bail reform and the legislators just don't seem to be listening. We're talking about the constant repeat violent offenders that are just kind of uh, like this turnstile type of justice, just getting right back out on the streets. Yeah, absolutely. When I went to work at Legal Aid Society in 1998, if I had a client who was uh, in in on a criminal possession of a weapon, of, of a firearm, Um, There would always be bail set and the likelihood of that person facing state time or a city year, a one year in Rikers Island um, would be sort of the best plea bargain you could get for somebody. And when I left in 2019, I had lots of young clients who were out on um, pretrial release in in programs, getting rearrested. And it was I mean, it made my job easier as a defense lawyer. But in terms of where it led our city, it made it really clear to young people that you could go out, get arrested for a gun and be right back out in your neighborhood 24 hours later. Maud Marone, why are you running? I'm running because I do not see the concerns that I have for me and for my family and for my neighbors in the current Democratic leadership in the city. And let's face it, it might be better for all of us if we had more competitive general elections, but almost always the Democratic primary serves as our general election in districts like District 10. Um, and so, you know, and, and I'll point out that that uniquely this year, we have what sort of amounts to an open primary. And, and a lot of New Yorkers don't know this. Anyone can go in and vote in this primary because of the sort of weird uh, August primary that's a result of a lawsuit. So if you're a registered conservative or independent or Republican, you can actually vote in this primary, which is which is unusual and unique for this year, but it's a result of the judge's decision. So I really encourage people to realize that that unlike most years, they can have a say no matter what in the Democratic primary, which will most likely send um, the representative to Congress, uh, which is what usually happens. With as many candidates as you have, the, the Baker's dozen of 13 that you mentioned, what kind of vote do you have to have to win the election? Because there is no, there's no uh, ranked choice voting here. There are no runoffs. It's just it's this. It's this primary. Correct. Well, like, John, Correct. what were you saying? Democrat for a day. Right. Democrat for a day. So how many what percentage of the vote do you need to win this primary? You know, the New York Times was predicting that the low turnout this year would be around 60,000 votes. And with 13 of us running, you could see how every single vote counts because somebody um, I don't think anyone's going to run away with it because there's so many of us in there. So turnout really, really matters. Every single vote matters in this race because someone could wind up going to Congress with less than 10,000 votes. That is incredible. So it's just it literally every single vote counts. And a lot of people say, oh, it doesn't matter if I vote or not. John, what do you say? 
I think everybody has to vote, and I think there's got to be a program where a lot of Republicans, conservatives, to make sure there's common-sense Democrats uh, uh, in there, have to be uh, Republican for two days. Or a Democrat for two days. Maud Marone, tell us real quick, how can people find more information about you? Please check out my website, maudmarin.com. Maud Marin, I'm so sorry. Maud Marin, thank you so much. Thank you for being a common sense Democrat. We still got a great show for everyone. We are going to be speaking with Charlie Gasparino, John McLaughlin, Congressman Lee Zeldin, John Katzmatidis, Cats at Night. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, we're back. This is John Katzmatidis and. Uh, what the heck is going on in the uh, financial markets? Who's better to ask than Charlie Gasparino of Fox News? Charlie, what's going on? Um, well, I mean, I think there's some degree of relief rallies here that uh, the Fed may not cut, uh, maybe ending its uh, rate increases that we've gotten um, inflation under control. But remember, it's never a straight line up. It's never a straight line down. This is still a pretty scary territory for an investor because if if oil is coming down in price, right, and there's not a significant supply increase, which there's not, it's because traders are pricing in a recession. Recession recessions are generally bad for earnings, and thus not great for stocks. Um, now, if it's a short recession, people might be saying, "Oh, well, it'll be over fast, and we'll get out of this." But you know, who knows? So. These are sort of the headwinds that are going on out there. Um, markets are clearly pricing in peak inflation. But remember, peak inflation, suppose inflation comes down to 6% and we're stuck with it for a while. Well, then we're also stuck with a bunch of more rate rate increases for a while. So this is this is really treacherous stuff. I, I just be real careful out there now. Well, we reached uh, peak, uh, in my opinion, we reached peak prices for for oil and and food, it could be peak prices for food unless things happen. Yeah, uh, and I mean, uh, sounds... uh, and uh, what, uh, what did oil close down today? About the ninety dollars, ninety two dollars, ninety three, something like that. It's still not not exactly uh, the fifty dollars we were used to for years and years, but uh, it's better. Um, but remember, this is because it's pricing in a, ref- a recession. So, and how long that recession is, no one knows. And I think that's the uh, that's the you know that's that's why this is not a it, this is you know this is this is difficult business, right? So, does that mean you sell all your stocks? No. What does it mean to me? I mean, you know, it just means you might want to get a little cash ahead ahead of the time, get ready for if the market bottoms, get ready to get, go back in, uh, see where it goes. Um, if obviously, if if inflation stays relatively high, even off its peak, remember nine percent's a lot. Suppose it settles at five percent. I mean, there's going to be more rate increases on that. So uh, you know that's why it's hard to like judge all this. You know, markets. You know, John, I've said this on your show before. The stock market reached an historic high. Uh, yes, an historic high, fourteen thousand. Back then, uh, in, two, in late 2007, because I thought the financial crisis, which was then known as a credit crunch, was about to, was was over. What happened in the next two months was that we had a financial crisis, and obviously, by the time that filtered through, you know the stock market hit a low of six thousand on the Dow. So remember, this is you know the one day's one day's performance means nothing. Stocks trade all over the place. A lot of these bots and 
and algorithms and traders are, you know, they have irrational exuberance over one day's headlines. They, you know, but they don't, and they don't take the long view. The long view is more treacherous here. Charlie, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. I wanted to ask you your your thoughts on two different items coming out of Congress. The one is the the Mansion Schumer deal and what that means, and the other is the the chip uh, deal. Well, the chip thing is just pure corporate welfare. I don't know why they need to do that. I mean, we don't we don't have a chip shortage right now. Um, you know, if you want to uh, help U.S. Ch- chip makers, don't give them money. You know, create an environment here to invest. And uh, you know they're just like they're just throwing money at the problem. It's really kind of ridiculous. Um, the the Schumer uh, Mansion deal is pathetic because if you if you read this thing, I mean it's so transparent. There's no, I mean it's all premised on deficit reduction to get rid of inflation. There's no deficit reduction until years out. We have inflation now. So it's just spending money. I, 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 it's doing the same stuff that got us in trouble. So uh, are I, they I trying to? The are they trying to create additional chip business in the United States because of a possible problem in Taiwan? Well, maybe, but not even Taiwan, but China as well. Uh, listen, there's no reason. There's, there's no problem with creating a chip business in the United States. I don't know how you create that by just throwing money at it. I mean, the way you do that generally is to create economic incentives for tri- chip makers to open up shop here, like a decent tax environment, uh, a decent regulatory environment, not the clown show that we have right now. I mean, yeah, that's but, but kind the, of it. The, the White House in Washington is not creating incentives for businessmen. Well, that's true. I mean, I mean you know, that's they, why we they, have these they are, you know, they're creating taxes. I know I was on. Uh, your your network the other day on Fox right. Business and and we said if they raise taxes to the chip companies, if they raise taxes to the food companies, all those companies are going to do is pass it along. You they're going to pass it along it, to the consumer. Yeah, and it's interesting how they're looking to raise taxes on corporations while they're handing them money. I mean, do you ever think about how stupid that is? And self-defeating? We, we don't have a captain of a ship. That's the problem. Well, yes. I mean, by, you know, Biden's been ill with, um, COVID. with COVID. And, you know, listen, everybody wants him to get better, obviously. But it, it really doesn't seem like he's around much when he doesn't have COVID or that he's much he's, – he's, a, he's, a, he's, like, he's like leading the country. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. His absence is kind of bizarre because it's – not really an absence because he was never really there. But the real problem is, and this was pointed out by, by other commentators, the people around Biden are not business people. They're academics. Well, they're think tankers. They're advocates. They're lobbyists. They're ideologists. Exactly. They're very ideological. Yes. And Charlie Gasparino, if anybody has the like the pulse of what's going on there at the White House and the Capitol, you know, the reporters, we hear, we know everything. What are you hearing about Biden? Well, it's it's complete disarray. It's people that have no you – know, it's just everything you're saying. And, and then it also on top of that, the sort of scuttlebutt, it's, it's a president that is just lost not one step, not two steps, but like ten steps. So they're freaking out too. Yeah, so they know he's he's a little – he's out there. And, you know, but it's not only that. I mean, you know, the, listen, this is a, a particularly bad cabinet that he put together. Not a lot of strong, smart people. I mean, where's the sort of liberal, uh, I guess, um, counterpart to someone like Mike Pompeo, right, who's new stuff, or the liberal counterpart to Mnuchin, 
You know, Janet Yellen, she's pretty weak. You know, I know she was Fed chair, but not exactly, you know, strong stuff here. You know, you know, Brian Deese running NEC. I mean, Larry Kudlow ran it, who has you know, been around for a long time, was an economist, worked on Wall Street, you name it, commentator. Brian Deese was kind of a kind of an advocate for ESG at kind of he was that's his main job when he when he was last in the private sector he worked at BlackRock to get money managers to do more ESG investing it's not he's not a, a businessman Charlie this is Pete King I agree with you that uh, Schumann Mansion is a bad deal but how is Wall Street going to react to it in the short term and even let's say the longer term you know I don't know if it's front and center right now now you know what what is front and center I mean. Let's just say it, it sparks more inflation. I mean, that's a problem for Wall Street because there's more rate increases and stocks will, will, will uh, you know, will, will react to that. So I think that's the main thing that Wall Street is reacting to. Value what Wall Street always reacts to is, I mean, you know, in the long term, you know, and I'm not talking about the headline. You know, they they might bounce off a headline, but you know, how does something affect interest rates environment, the interest rate environment, and then corporate earnings? That's kind of where it goes. You could make a good case that this 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 anti-inflation thing could hurt corporate earnings because it's going to impose tax increases on major companies that are already cutting back. And by the way, it does nothing to do nothing to do with the supply side, right? It's not lessening regulations so they can supply more stuff. So it, it's a it seems like a it seems like a joke. Business people, Charlie, as a business person. Business people are not taking money out of their pockets and say, I'm going to go out and build another refinery for a billion dollars. Oh, that's true. You know what's fascinating? I don't understand why the market is going up. I think because it thinks – I don't totally understand. I, I, I kind of understand. I think it thinks it will be a couple of rate increases, you know, we'll reach peak inflation, and then the Fed will just lay off and the economy will recover. Well, have no fear. Oh, sorry. I, no, I agree with you. I yeah, think the, the Fed—they're thinking of pausing in September. That's what I hear. Right, but thing. that doesn't mean we're going to get a a recovery that that the market is seems to be suggesting. I'm looking at all these tech firms. Right, they're talking about like massive cuts. David Zasloff, the head of Discovery. Warner Bros. tomorrow, I just broke this on Fox Business, is going to announce that he's combining major operations, including two, two big streaming services. That's going to lead to hundreds of cuts. All these companies are doing this. Um, I, I don't understand why the markets think that uh, this is, you know, it, why, that, you know, it's, it's, it, this, this, this slowdown is coming to an end. It seems like it's just starting. Well, Time will tell. Time will I, tell. Uh, I, I, I think that everybody's going to pull their uh, their belt in and uh, do what they have to do. And are banks lending, John? No, the banks are shutting down. That's a problem, especially in the real estate industry. You know, they uh, the, the the Fed has announced some new regulations to them uh, that uh, they're, they're not lending any any monies for construction loans or anything new. So, John, if they're not lending on the level that you're at, what about regular people that maybe need a home loan? They're in deep crap. Yeah, look, there's more consumer debt being taken on. Credit card debt is They'll say, you want to buy levels. a new house? You have to pay 6.5%. Wow. Yes, yeah, well, so the, the, the debt, household debt is now uh, $16 trillion. We've yeah. never seen a number that high ever before. But personal yeah, credit debt is scary when you start breaking scary. it down. Yeah. Th- those numbers are staggering. So that's why I don't buy the quick and dirty you know, we get through this, you know, everything's hunky-dory next year. 
Well, don't worry. AOC is going to save uh, the White House in 2024. That's what Democratic oh, strategists said, that she's Charlie, the best hope for the Charlie, you, know, you know I went to the same same high school as her? Oh, my God. Oh, because you're from Yorktown. Yes. So you, oh, my goodness. That's right. So she's not from the Bronx. She's not. Uh, yeah. We're all from the Bronx when you're from Yorktown, just so you know. Originally. I, 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 yeah. I know that. But, my, but, my sister-in-law lives there. Yeah, so everybody in Yorktown's from the Bronx. But I mean, just, <laughs> it's just that I, I don't even care so much about that. Like my old man, I told you, was a construction worker. Her old man was an architect, and I'm not sitting there pounding my chest. Oh, I've you know, the the, the road to riches has been long and hard. <laughs> I was born in a shotgun shack. You know. <laughs> well, Charlie, thank you, and uh, we'll talk again maybe later in the week. We got to find out what the heck is going on. Thank you so much. All right, John. Thanks. Who do we go to now, Lydia? Are uh, we going to break? You want to break now? Let's uh, let's go to break, and we're going to come back with John McLaughlin. He's going to talk to us about the Republican primaries going on all over the country, who won, who lost, Trump's record, and keep it also right here for Congressman Lee Zeldin. He is the winning ticket here for New York to bring us back from the depths of despair. Keep it right here, Cats at Night. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now to the world's greatest pollster, John McLaughlin, right? John, you called it the race. I mean, we got to give it to you. What was the that race? It was like 14 points. You said it was going to be exactly 14 points, and that's exactly what it was for Zeldin. For Zeldin. Uh, that was Zeldin, Lee. It was 21 points. Oh, 21 and, points. And, so by here, the way, it, Lee made it come out right. I just report the numbers. And it's just like with Pete King. Pete King, you know, we, we'd, we'd take a poll and Pete would win. So it was. Hey, John, know, John, you're the best. Thing. And John, John Katz and I saw you well, last John, night. Well, John, when I was running for mayor, he never told me I was losing Manhattan. <laughs> but they were your neighbors. That's why. Yeah. So. Hey, hey, John, John. They knew me better. Right. <laughs> So wasn't it great being with Aldemato at his uh, birthday party last night, though? Really, yeah. a lot of good people there. It was a great night. And, uh, again, it was just great, great being with you and Mary. And it was just a great time. It was a great time because Aldemato was 85, and I was thinking about when I was a young kid working for Finkelstein and being in a room with Aldemato and <laughs> Roger Ailes and Arthur Finkelstein. And, and, and P. King, I remember 92, he calls me up and he says, he says, you got to work for this guy, Pete King. Get him elected to Congress. And, and well, you know, I rode your coattails, Pete. You got elected. But there, the first poll, he calls me and he says, he says, you know, how's Pete doing? I said, oh, okay, he's winning. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a contest because there's a millionaire that's run against us. And he says, yeah, but where's the Irish on the Senate race? And I'm like, okay, Abrams, D'Amato, <laughs> now I know why. <laughs> hey, John, John, uh, yesterday was more primaries in the United States What's Trump's scoreboard in the uh, Republican primaries? And and uh, before we go off today, we're going to have Lee Zeldin on, your other client, and right. we're all going to talk together. But let's talk about the national races first. Well, the national, I mean, Trump in the primaries is now 172 to 10 uh, because he had perfect picks in Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, and in Arizona. His candidates for governor and uh, Senate appear to have won. And uh, he's waiting on a couple races out in uh, Washington state. But uh, right now, the primary voters, you got to realize, as Biden fails, Trump looks really good. And there's buyer's remorse here because two-thirds of the primary voters want Trump to run again. And if, they, if he runs again, they would support him. Four to five would support him. And the majority of the, of the primary voters would vote for him, even in a crowded field with Ron DeSantis in there. And DeSantis would be far behind. So – 
as, and plus, it's all because Trump would beat Joe Biden today handily, 49-44 in the national race, which would be an electoral landslide. Joe Biden has a 59 disapproval rating in our surveys, and the majority of voters, 7 out of 10 voters, say the country's on the wrong track. So there's voters right now who say, I don't like tweets from Trump. I don't like his rallies. I'm not going to watch it. But if he runs again, I'm going to vote for him because inflation was low. Taxes were low. The price of gas was lower. The price of food was lower. So, you know, right now it's 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 like there's a lot of uh, power to Trump's endorsement in Republican primaries. And what other key states are coming up over the next uh, couple of weeks? I, I know New York is August 23rd. Well, you got you got Tuesday. You got uh, Leora Levy, who's who was a Trump person running against uh, a never Trumper in Connecticut for Senate to run against uh, 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 Dick Blumenthal and. Dick Morris put out a survey that uh, Blumenthal's under 50, well under 50 at 45 percent. You could tell it's true because of the amount of money they're spending there. And on the 16th of August, you have the Wyoming primary with Liz Cheney up. And uh, after the kangaroo court, she's running where there's no Trump Republicans allowed on the Pelosi, uh, uh, you know, Cheney committee there. Um, she's going to lose her seat and uh, she's going to lose the Republican primary on August 16th in Wyoming. So uh, uh, so right now, Trump's on a roll, and uh, we'll, we'll see how his, his hey, candidate... Hey, John, how is Lee Zeldin going to do? And I think Lee is on the line. Lee, if you want to join in. Well, well, I'm let curious me... what John's answer is, so maybe I won't want to interrupt. <laughs> Come on, you're the governor. You can do whatever you want, I, Lee. I, I, that's right. I, I mean, if, if Pete King and John Katsimatidis get behind Lee because of this crime issue, Lee's in, in great position because we saw even the usually... Uh, you know, the Siena poll and Emerson that tilt, they're starting to get it right because they've got most New York to say in the state's in the wrong track and the country's on the wrong track. And Biden's job approval, they now have a 51 disapproval. It's higher. It's 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 the majority of New Yorkers are, are very upset at Biden because he's aiding and betting Hulkle with this cashless bail. So I, I think it's going to come down to guys who is going to keep New York City, New York State safe. I, yeah. I mean, when it comes down to September. When it comes down to October, that's the one issue the people that are standing on the subway uh, platform and say, who's going to keep me safe? Lee, what are you hearing out there? I'll tell you, over the course of these last few days, from the Dominican Day Parade to the Jamaican Jerk Fest in Queens to uh, my meetings yesterday with uh, the Asian American community in Chinatown, the Jewish voters in Queens, I'm right now in South Brooklyn. Everywhere I go, and it doesn't matter whether I'm talking to a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent, I could be in the middle of one of the five boroughs, or I can be hundreds of miles away in one of the reddest counties of the state. Everybody's talking about crime. And inside of the city, I hear that personal story from people talking about how when they ride the subway, they're holding onto a pole or a guardrail because they're afraid of getting pushed in front of an oncoming subway car. When I was at the Dominican Day Parade, I had support all along the route. And they were talking about Jose Alba, Alvin Bragg, crime and public safety, very anti-Kathy Hochul. We're going to win the Hispanic vote. And I'll tell you, it wasn't just support. It was strong, passionate, fired-up support, crime and public safety, by far the number one issue. The police officers, they're under attack. What will you do when you become governor to get the support back that they need? I unapologetically back the blue. We should pass a law enforcement bill of rights, repeal cashless bail, 
roll back discovery law changes, repeal the HALT Act. Our corrections officers are being attacked right now. We have to overhaul the parole board. There are so many different ways that we can make sure that our streets belong once again to law-abiding New Yorkers, belong to law enforcement, belong to the rule of law. And one of the ways to get it done is my first act right after I'm sworn in, turning to the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg to let him know he's getting fired. And will you be able to work with Mayor Adams? You know, that's a big concern here. And what's astonishing to me is Mayor Adams, because he's a Democrat, he's backing Hochul. But when I look at the rhetoric and I look at what both of you are saying, Mayor Adams and, and you actually sound more aligned about what you want to do. He calls for Mayor Adams, says that there should be a special session in Albany to overhaul Castle's bail. I agree. I had a press conference last week calling for the same action. I say we should be overhauling cashless bail. Kathy Hochul says there's no data. Meanwhile, inside of the New York Post, they just came out with a new story about 10 people arrested since cashless bail has been enacted where they were rearrested 500 times. 10 people, 500 arrests taking advantage of this system. I say Alvin Bragg should be fired. Kathy Hochul says cut him some slack. He just got there. He's doing his job. I was outside of Bragg's office calling for the murder charge to be dropped on Alba. Kathy Hochul was asked about it, and she said it was none of, none of her business. She wasn't going to get involved. I served with Mayor Adams in the state Senate. He's on the other side of the aisle. We, we aren't going to agree Maybe on Maybe you should go meet with Mayor Adams and tell him what you're going to do if you became governor. Hey, I, you know what? I, and I, I saw him a couple days ago. We've stayed in touch since we served in the state Senate together. I am sure that the story that will get written about Governor Zeldin working with Mayor Adams will be about the way that these two people from two different parties work together to make the streets of New York Bring New together. York back. Make New York safe. That's all we care about. Yeah, who cares Amen. about Democrat, Republican, whatever? We just like want to be able to walk down the street without being accosted and box cutters and our cops. I mean, you saw those videos. What went through your mind when you saw the police officers? I just they can't even make a simple arrest anymore, Lee. Yeah, and they have to, they're worried about getting sued personally. Uh, you look at the case of the 16-year-old who attacked the officer, released on an armed robbery, no cash bail requested by uh, Alvin Bragg. And then because of the day one memo, including all sorts of offenses that Bragg won't prosecute, including fair jumping, this officer tried to stop this 16-year-old, and he thought he was entitled to it. He's using maneuvers on the cop that if the cop used, he'd get put in jail, stuff like chokeholds. And I mentioned the piece about the attacks on qualified immunity, which are absolutely wrong. We should protect qualified immunity. When that 16-year-old went back in front of the judge, the 16-year-old was asking the judge if he could pursue charges against the officer. And, oh, by the way, on top of it all, that 16-year-old immediately gets released right back out on the street. I got another big item for you, uh, Lee Zeldin. Congestion pricing. They want to suck people's blood. Yep. They want to, yeah, totally. every time you go below 61st Street or 60th, 60th Street, Street yeah. over the 59th Street Bridge, over any bridge, they're going to charge you $10 I for think, your car. I think they're going to put up tolls all around. What do you yeah, say, I'm Lee, totally Congressman? Congestion pricing, it should end. They're trying to find another way to put their hand in your pocket, just like the 24-7 speed cameras that they're instituting now. They it's say wrong. It's, public it's safety. wrong. It's about taking money from people who can't afford it. Congressman Lee Zeldin, tell them all it's wrong and you're going to be against the congestion pricing and you want people to be safe in New York City and safe in our subways. Hey, Lee, keep Absolutely. up the great work, really. We need you at the state. 
And we all need John McLaughlin. And really, they just keep uh, punching, and you're going to be a great governor. I just uh, want to go you. to the. I just want to go to the dinner that John Katz sets up for Lee and Bayer Adams so that they can get their crime agenda. To it's going to be at, at Rayo's, and uh, we'll have another picture that makes it with worldwide. Get, get the meeples. See, Let's I could never get the reservation, Lee. Well, thank yeah, you, guys. I'm just, I'm just I'm excited. Keep fighting. Keep fighting for our, everybody in New York City and New York State. God bless you. And, and you know what we stand for in this show? What do we stand for, guys? Truth, Truth justice, and, and the American, American way. way. God bless. God bless America because we need a blessing.